Amen. What a beautiful, beautiful way just to enter into this time. So grateful to be back with you this morning. I enjoyed a little time away last week to lean into just some family time and enjoyed just being there and being able to spend time with them. And what a beautiful job Pastor Chris did as he challenged us with our first message of the new year, just to lean in to the word of God, just with that truth that we can't seek the Lord without seeking uh, and without being in his word. And so grateful uh, for him and grateful for just a great challenge for this new year. I hope uh, that some of you are, I hope all of you are engaging in the word this year and that you are uh, walking through our church-wide reading plan. You've seen paper copies of those uh, around the church and many of you are already connected uh, through the app as well. And just want to encourage you to lean into that. My heart has stirred toward, um, at least for the first part of this year, and I want to walk in obedience to kind of wherever the Lord leads, so not committing uh, to uh, kind of an all-year thing or long-term, but I've really stirred toward this thought of just engaging in this journey together as we walk through the scriptures and to preach from uh, the reading plan as we look at the storyline of scripture. And so my hope is that as we gather on Sunday morning that we'll lean in Uh, to the word and that we'll look at some uh, pieces of the story that we'll be looking at the storyline that we see the bloodline through scripture that we would see God's redemption plan from the beginning and that we might see uh, just that together and then through the week that you would read uh, ahead and that you would be engaging in the word and that you would get as Paul Harvey used to say the rest of the story because we won't be able to get uh, the whole thing uh, each morning. Uh, you can find uh, those resources uh, on the church app. Uh, you'll also find sermon notes uh, in there as well. So if you're following along in there, uh, you'll see that. Uh, you'll find uh, those resources also online at cowie.church forward slash disciple. And so uh, we're going to start a series today called In the Beginning and super excited just to jump into God's Word. You can take your copy of God's Word and turn about a page and you'll be there. So it'll be as easy uh, to find along the way. Uh, the title of this message will be Trouble in Paradise. And we're going to cover a bunch of scripture uh, in a hurry this morning. And if you know my preference, it's walking verse by verse and spending a long time uh, kind of walking through that. But we're going to try to journey quickly uh, through the scriptures as we uh, engage together. Had a, a great time. Some of you may hear my voice is a little off this morning. I came this morning with it, thought it was kind of back in gear. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to try not to get loud in the first service and maybe it will hold out. Well, that didn't work. Um, but I may not have to try not to get loud in the second service. I may not be able to. We had gone, uh, somehow the Lord has a sense of humor. You know, we'll see today uh, that God looked at all the creation, right? And he said, it's not good for a man to be along. And, and the Bible said that he created a helper that was suitable for him and that he formed and fashioned the woman from his side, right? And we see just this beautiful way that uh, that our spouse uh, completes us. And, and a lot of times there's just so many differences about us, right? And it's interesting. The Lord has a sense of humor. My wife is a mermaid. Like all she wants to do, like if we go somewhere, she wants to be in the water. She wants to be in the ocean. She wants to be doing that kind of thing. My kids are mermaids. They love, they, I mean, mermen, whatever. I mean, you know, all that stuff. I don't know. They like the water, right? They like the water and they like the snorkel. So we were, we had traveled down to South Florida. We were camping down there and we had the opportunity to go snorkeling. And so early in the week, we get out there and I'm just not built for it. Like, I, I don't know. Like I'm a land animal. Like, I don't know. I'm just not 
built for it. I put that little snorkel thing on and immediately, immediately when I start trying to breathe all that air, I'm like, I feel like I'm hyperventilating, you know, I think I'm in a bad spot, but my wife likes it. So I do it, you know, it's just kind of, it's something she enjoys. So I'm like, you know, we'll go snorkeling and we can see some pretty little fishies and maybe a shark or something. And we'll, we'll enjoy that while well, I'm out there. And the waves are pretty good that day. And they're, they're like three foot. I don't like being rocked around either. I kind of get a little, <laughs> y'all remember Jonah, like, you know, and, and so we're out and the water kind of gets sloshing around and I breathe in about half the ocean in my snorkel. And immediately it creates that feeling. And so in my snorkel then, and Hope was, was not too far from us and she could hear the, you know, that it was kind of, kind of that loud um, vomit through the snorkel move. I was really good at it. And she looks at her mom. She says, I, I don't think he's okay. I'm going to check on him. She comes over. She's like, dad, are you okay? And I'm like, and I can't say a word. Like my, my throat was on fire. Like immediately I lost my voice and I didn't have it until uh, about Friday. And so we'll see how long it lasts this morning, but um, l- looking forward to jump into the word of God and, and just see um, what he has for us today. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. God, we come under the authority of your word. God, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word, God, individually, each one. Now, there's a section in this passage where we're going to read that you joined Adam in the cool of the day, that you came looking for him. God, I'm so thankful for your grace and that you come looking for the lost. And you cry out, God, Adam, where are you? And God, I pray, Lord, that in the power of your spirit, God, that you might speak to each of us individually. God, that you might challenge us and you might also allow us to see where we are and where you would have us to be, God, and that you might use our time together, Lord, to grow us in the grace and knowledge of who you are, God, that we might walk worthy of the calling, God, that we might walk in obedience to you, God. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us not to see uh, anything less than a picture of the beauty of who you are, God, that we might see your majesty and your greatness in your story as we open your word. God, if there's someone here that's never repented of their sin and surrendered their life to you, God, I pray that you would draw them in the power of your spirit, and God, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So Genesis 1-1, right? Most of us have made it that far in a reading plan at some point. And so the first thing we're gonna see today, there's three things we're gonna hope uh, to walk away with, and uh, we're gonna cover all the way through Genesis chapter three. I'm not gonna read all those verses, uh, but we're gonna lean in and catch some of the story along the way. But the first thing we see in the Genesis story, right, is that God created in the Hebrew Bible, there's only three words, right? And, and we see that those words communicated in that, right? In that uh, picture, right? That in the beginning, God created, right? Those are only three words in the Hebrew Bible. And what we see in those words is a picture of something incredible. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you are at a beautiful art exhibition, right? That you are in a place and you see that someone has created with incredible intentionality, with incredible design. And you look and you are in awe of all of the beauty that is around you. You're in awe of the details of the art. You're in awe of all of the pieces. And then someone comes and says, hey, if you've got just a second, I want to introduce you to the artist. And it's my prayer that as we walk through Genesis, as we walk through uh, these passages today, that we might be introduced into the eternal 
right? That we might see Jesus, that we might see our great God for who he is, the God who is eternal and uncreated, who spoke this very world into existence without even breaking a sweat. I've been up here like five minutes. I'm already like breaking a sweat, right? And he, we see a God who has no beginning and who has no end. And we see this God at work in the midst of scriptures. And so as we read the scriptures, we many times want to look into the scriptures and say, where am I in this? And where are these things? But I want you to understand that this is the story of God. Then we're going to see that in his grace and his mercy, that he allows us to engage in mission with him in his story, right? But this is a beautiful picture of the work of God. Even in chapter one, when we see just the intentionality, you know, as as the folks that would have read this Originally, you know, they would have lived and the Israelites would have lived in uh, among people that would have worshipped the sun and would have worshipped the moon and, and would have looked at those as gods. And there's very great intentionality in all the pieces where we see him refer uh, in this writing. He doesn't use the Hebrew word for sun or for moon, but it says that there's this greater light and there's this lesser light. And from the very beginning, we see that this is a story that is written for the glory of God, that he has spoken all these things into existence, that he has created all things, including us for his glory, right? And in the midst of this, we see that there's no doubt, right? That all attention is to go to the, not the created things. And there's attention. And we're going to see this in Genesis three, where we can worship the created thing instead of the creator God. But all attention is to the one who has created everything. This marvelous light, the one who is great and infinite in his power. And it is God alone who is worthy of our worship. So God creates, right? We're going to skip all the way to the end of the first chapter. So God creates, and it's beautiful. We see almost this picture. I don't know if you've ever built something or you've been working on something. I can remember when we were working on a little room in our house, and when we had finally finished that after like 15 years. That's how that works, right? And when you do that, like men, we cry out to tell us die. That's what we do, right? Because... That's my favorite word. And so we cry out like, it is finished, right? And so we, we step back and we look and we see the work that has taken place. And in Genesis 131, we see that kind of picture where God saw all that he has made. And behold, it was very good. And it was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And so God sees all that he's made. And he says, not only is it good, but he said, it is very good good. Now we look around today and we think about the mess that we're in and we're like, man, something's different from that day to this day, right? We see the brokenness all around us. We see the sin. We see the hurt. We see the the brokenness of creation, right? We read the New Testament creation groans, right, for the redemption, right? Groans for for the return of Christ. We see just the brokenness of all this. And so where does it all go wrong? Let's jump over to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to just kind of run through pretty quickly for the sake of time. But God has formed man from the dust of the ground. So we see this this, uh, beautiful picture where he's planted a garden, the scripture says, toward the east. And he's put man in this garden to cultivate and to keep it. Okay, now, now I want to I give you a couple things that we can see in this. Work came before the fall. Sometimes we look and we think, oh man, work is a result of the fall. Work is good. It came before the fall. And for you young ladies that are looking to date somebody in the future, or you're looking for a man one day, I want to remind you something. God gave the man a job before he gave him a wife. Okay, so just be aware of that, right? It's like a... Um, Got to get you. Got to get in there and work, right? God's created us, uh, men, right? We, we were to get in there after it, okay? So he gave him a job before he gave him a wife, and then 
he gave him some instructions. And so in Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17, the Lord God commanded the man saying from the tree, excuse me, from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day. Be careful with the wording. Listen to the wording for the day that you eat from it. You will surely die. So he gives Adam, right? And the reason we call him Adam, it's a Hebrew word uh, for man. It's Adam. And so we call him Adam. So he gives Adam uh, this one boundary, this one rule, right? And he says, uh, following that, he says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. And then he says, hey, I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. And next, he gives him like a singles awareness program. And he says, here's all the animals. Name them. And he's looking at all of them. And he's like, none of these, none of these are fit for me, right? There's, there's not a helper, the scripture says. There's not, there wasn't a helper found that was suitable for him. And so we read that there's this beautiful thing that takes place that the Lord, verse 21, the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on the man and he slept and took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned, man, he made her right, fashioned like all this other stuff he just likes, but he fashioned her in a woman, the rib which he had taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. This is, a, this is an incredible moment. Now, great commentator Matthew Henry said this, and I love this um, just reminder. He said this, the woman was made out of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him under his arm, to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. I love that. And then the man sees this fashioned work of God. And he says, whoa, man. (laughs) If y'all didn't see that, it's in the Hebrew. Um, (laughs) But he says, hey, she's going to be called woman because she was taken out of the man. That's what the scripture says. And then we see some very familiar verses. We hear them at every wedding, right? 24 and 25, Genesis 2. He says, and for this reason, all right, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined unto his wife and they shall become one flesh, right? This is the way God designed it, that in marriage that we would experience something beautiful, that we would experience oneness. And, and we read later in Ephesians that this oneness that we experience and the way that we would engage, right? That, that, that this oneness would reflect the gospel even, uh, even after the fall, right? But in, in, in God's original design, there was this beautiful fellowship that they experienced and there was this oneness that they experienced. And the Bible says that the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed, right? There was no guilt, There was no feelings of embarrassment. There was no remorse over things that had happened. They were not ashamed. Everything was good. God had given Adam a wife. He he said, listen, we're we're not designed to do life in isolation. We're designed for relationships with God and with one another. And there's this perfect fellowship. And we wonder how long did it last? I like to think about that stuff. Like how long was Adam like fellowshipping with the Lord? How long... Were they in that environment? You know, the scripture says that God would come down in the cool of the day. Like when it, can't you just imagine like, don't you like in the cool of the day, like in the evening when now it's just cold all day, right? But when it was getting like, this was perfect, right? It was a little warm and then Adam went out working and then God comes down, they hang out, like walk together. He's asking him these questions. He's like, God, I'm, I'm checking out this. I mean, I just like to think, what would that have looked like? And then he gave him a woman. And you know, like that day, he had all kinds of questions when he came. He's like, God, like, 
how long did they make it, right? I don't think it was very long because in Genesis chapter four, we find Adam having relations with his wife and having kids. And I don't know how long it took to like all these things, but I don't think it took too long before humanity and before paradise had trouble. And so God created, but the second thing we're going to see is that sin separated. We know the story, right? We can be very familiar with some of those things, right? Satan enters into the garden, tempts, right? We, we see that picture. Some of you are saying, how in the world did he get here? I want to encourage you. If you're following along in the app, I put some information toward the end. Uh, we also did a full week on this. So if you want to say, where did Satan uh, come from? How did all this happen? If you go to our sermon archives, uh, you can look and see uh, the first Surviving the Wild uh, series, and you'll see uh, information about uh, our enemy. And so here he is, right? And, and we see him enter in. Look at Genesis verse Chapter three, verse one, scripture says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Now her first problem is she's talking with a snake. That's the first problem. And I want you to see something as we walk through this passage, Satan, the way he works, it's much bigger than just trying to get us to fall into sin. Satan desires that we would doubt the goodness of God. He desires that we would doubt our God's goodness and that we would doubt his, his love for us. And he wants us to think, I love to say that God's word is not filled with cruel commandments, but they are filled with sweet solutions for life, right? And we see these prohibitions. We see things that, that the world may say is okay. And we see the sinful thing of whatever that is in our culture, whatever it is that all of a sudden is the thing that, that your friends are doing or the things that are there. And somehow we feel like that because we're following Jesus and we know that we're to walk in purity and we know that we're to walk in integrity, that somehow God is withholding something that would fulfill us in every way. Now he twists the word of God. If you notice in verse one, he says, you sh has God said, you shall not eat from any tree. Now, was that what God said? No, and all of a sudden, instead of being focused on all the good that God has given us and all the greatness of God, see, God had given them all the garden. He says, you can eat from every tree except one, right? But instead, Satan begins to twist that. And he begins to put in Eve's mind, says, you shall not eat from any tree. And Eve hears this, and, and by the way, temptation, right? The battle begins in our mind. She begins to roll this thing around in her mind. And this would have been a real good time for her to say, you know what? That doesn't line up with, with what Adam said God said. That doesn't line up with the word of God. And so I'm going to take that thought that's been put in, and I'm going to capture that thought, and I'm going to take that thought captive, and I'm going to get it out, and I'm going to quit talking to this joker because I recognize that he's going the wrong direction. But that's not what she does, right? So she's getting her mind rolling with this tempting thoughts. And she responds and she says to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. Now in her mind, she's thinking of all these things and all the goodness that God has given her, all the trees, all the things, all the blessings are being paled by this one thing she can't have. See, Satan wants to take our mind off all the good that God has done for us, all the blessings, all of his grace, all of his mercy. Verse three, it says, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, now watch these words here, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will surely die. Did God say that? He said, you shall not eat from it 
But we have a tendency to add prohibitions to the word of God, right? We have a tendency sometimes to take the word of God and then add things to it, right? We, we have this tendency to, to have legalism, right? Satan wants us to discount the word of God and, and have liberalism where we're like, you know what? God didn't really mean that. It was a different time. We, we feel this way. We can do what, you know, God's word didn't really, Satan desires that. But he also, on the opposite end of that, legalism can be just as dangerous, right? He said, you shall not eat from it or touch it. She took something God said and she made it more severe. And when we see legalism, it's crippling. We see it in churches. We see it in places. And here's the reality. We don't need to add our rules to the word of God. We don't need to add our rules. Now, now Romans 14 says, hey, there's some times that you're going to experience conviction. There's some times that you're going to be willing. That there may be freedoms that we have according to the word of God. That there may be places in the word of God that are not saying, hey, you can't do this or you can't do that or you must do this. But you may have a personal conviction that God says, hey, I, I'm going to do a certain thing or I'm not going to do a certain thing. I'm going to, I'm going to abstain from certain things, or I'm going to do certain things. For example, Sherry and I, years back, we said, hey, you know what? We only have so much time. And when we're there, we just are committed that we only really listen to worship music. We just listen to Christian music. We don't really listen to anything else. Now, for me to take that and say, it's a conviction of my heart that says, I want to pour in. So I'm either listening to the word of God, or I'm listening to worship music. I'm listening to those kind of things. We may choose to do that, but for me to come and say, hey, y'all are all sinners if you listen to anything that ain't worship music. See, that we can't take our personal convictions and make them commandments for other people. See, we look at our life and we say, hey, you know what? If there's something in my life that's going to cause somebody else to stumble, then Paul said, hey, I'll, I'll never eat meat again if it's going to cause somebody to stumble in, in his time and in his culture and the things that were there. And we need to be people that live for the gospel in such a way that if there are things that God convicts us about in our life, even if we have freedom for those things, that we would forsake those things for the good of the gospel because the gospel is worth everything and following Jesus is worth everything. But we can't take those personal convictions and make those commandments for other people. Verse four, the serpent said to the woman, now he completely denies the word of God, right? Completely twists it. He says, you surely will not die. Satan is always trying to get us to exchange the truth for a lie. That's how he works. Romans 1, 18 and following, we see that same picture. He twists the word of God so that we might, we might believe that the consequences, that what he said are not going to be true. He wants us to deny the word of God. That's what Satan wants us to do. But even more than the denial of the word of God, he wants us to, to demean the God of the word. He wants us to, to look with disdain and, 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 and not to uh, walk in obedience to his command and to his word. And he goes on in verse five and he says this, for the day that you, he says, for God knows in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, he tries to get us to believe that God is withholding something from us. Like when you do that, you'll be like him. You'll, you'll have this wisdom. You'll understand all these things. And, and he tries to get us to believe that fulfillment can be found in something outside of God's word and his plan. He, he tries to get us to believe that fulfillment could be found in rebellion and in rejection to his word. And what we see is that they took the bait. Look at verse six. The woman saw, and Satan uses the same tricks today. And he uses the same things, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. Look here. He says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eye, lust of the eye, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, pride of life, like, I, I don't really need God's information. I, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave it also to her husband who was with her, and he 
8. Notice where he was. Where was the man? Mm-hmm. We, were, we were reading this as a family this week and kind of going through a little devotion time with that. And as we were reading through there and we got to the part with the woman, Grant looks over at Hope and he says, man, the woman got us in a big mess. <laughs> God had told Adam, right? The Bible says he was with her. Now remember in Genesis chapter two, what would happen if they ate? They would, they would die, right? So like if I didn't know more of the rest of the story, I'm thinking this fruit was like a grenade and as soon as they ate it, like it's done. Like it's what I'm thinking, right? Now Genesis chapter three, verse seven though, the scripture says, then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves. They tried to make a covering, right? We try to do our own thing and we're gonna see the only way that sin can be covered. But we try to do our own thing, right? They took fig leaves, they took things and they tried to cover their sin. They tried to cover that. They knew that they were naked, the scripture says, and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loin coverings. Then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That, That sound that they would have treasured to that moment, the presence of God, right? And sin, when we have sin in our life, right, it, it keeps us from his word. We, it keeps us from his presence, right? We see here that they hid. Look, it says the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And he said, I thought they would die. And the reality is that they did. They died spiritually. And we'd read later in maybe verse 21, 22, 23, we would see that they were cast out of the garden, but that they would no longer be able to take and eat from the, uh, the tree of the fruit of knowledge. Right? They would no longer be able uh, to eat and, and continue uh, to live, that they were cast out of this garden, separated from God. They would experience, they died spiritually, but they would also experience physical death. Scripture says that, verse 23, that the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. And he drove the man out in the east of the Garden of Eden. He stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So here he is. He says, you know, you you can't go back in and continue to eat from the tree of life. Look at verse 22. It says, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. See, there's grace even in the curse. You're going to see that. But he's cast out of the garden. He's separated from God. He would die this physical death. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Thereby, as one man, sin entered into the world. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Adam and Eve, our spiritual parents, right? And every person that's been born since Adam and Eve outside of Jesus Christ has inherited a sin nature. And we come into this broken world in a mess, right? The brokenness of this world, we come into this and Satan continues to tempt, he continues to engage. Brokenness is all around. God created, sin separated. But I want you to see in the story and I want you to see where we're going because the beauty of all this is the promise of God in the midst of the curse because in the midst of this, God created, sin separated, but grace permeated. And I want you to see in verse 9 through 13, we're going to have to lean in quick. Scripture says, then the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was so naked, because I was naked, so I hid myself. Then he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave 
to be with me. She gave me from the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, I love this, that Adam's hiding and we find God searching for him. We see God's grace in pursuit of the lost. God comes looking for Adam and it wasn't because he didn't know where Adam was. He's God, right? He wanted Adam to know where he was. And we hear these words, Adam, where are you? Where was Adam, right? You remember where he was when she ate the fruit? You remember where he was with that? He was with her. He was present, but he was not fulfilling his role. And I'm convinced with all my heart that at the root of so many things in our society, it is the fact that there are men that are present that are not fulfilling the God-given role that he has given to us to lead and to a disciple and to engage with our families and to be who God's called us to be in the midst of this world. And when you take broken men, you have broken families and you end up with broken churches and broken workplaces and broken mess all around. And God's calling us to something different and through the power of his spirit, he will equip us to be something different. And he comes looking for Adam. And Adam says, hey, uh, it's a blame game. He says, the woman, the woman. And by the way, God, it's really your fault because it's the woman you gave me. It's the woman you gave me. That's who it is. That's the one. And Adam, he was the one given the call to lead his family spiritually. And the woman says, hey, the serpent tricked me. The serpent tricked me. Listen, and the modern version goes like this. We, we live in a victim mentality. We live in a victim culture. We live in a world where everybody's got something that happened into their past that gives them a right to be messed up in their present, right? That gives them a right to beat their kids and act bad because something happened to them. I'm telling you, we need some people that'll understand that there's no more time for excuses. We come in this kind of situation and people say, God, no, it's this. It's like, God, you're responsible for my situation because look at my parents, look at my upbringing, look at the abuse, look at the ineptness of my parents' teachings, looking at all these things. You remember the Menendez brothers, they murdered their parents and then they asked the court for mercy on the grounds that they were orphans. That's, that's the culture that we live in. And we, we have no time for those kind of excuses. We've got to be people that will own God's call for us as men and women to, to live godly lives, to live lives that pursue his holiness, to live in the glory of his name. Kenneth Matthews, a commentator, points out, he said, the woman listened to the serpent, the man listened to the woman, and nobody listened to God. And that's the mess. That's where we're at. Right, we have a culture where everybody's listening to the media, everybody's listening to whatever feels good, everybody's listening to whatever their buddies say, everybody's listening to all those kind of things, and we, we, we've got to be in a place where we're going to say, thus saith the word of God, and I'll submit my life to the authority of his word, and we'll stand on it no matter what comes our way, and even in the consequences, we see God's grace. Look at this. In the curse, we're going to skip, and then we're going to come back, because the best are in, uh, verse 15 is not the best, for sure. But we got we got to go on, we'll just see a little bit of the impact of the curse. Y'all hang in there. Childbirth gets bad, right? In great pain. Like I saw that, one per family if the man had to deliver. I'm telling you, it'd be over, right? Great pain. And that pain doesn't just end, moms, does it? You, you continue to worry, and you continue to toil. You continue to worry over those children, right? And then marriage is messed up. There's strife, and there's distortion of the God-given roles that we see that. Look in, in verse 16, you continue to see that. There, there's this strife that begins and the distortion of the roles, but God redeems those in, in, in people that are filled with his spirit that lives different for the glory of his name. And Ephesians 5 gives us this picture. It says, when you do that, you'll reflect the gospel to this world and it'll be beautiful and it'll be godly and it'll be something incredible. The ground's cursed, right? God, sin enters into the world. Storms, hardship, pain, death, everything that we look around in our world and we experience, right? We, we might just call it life, but it's broken. It's after the fall. The world's broken. The weather's broken. Everything around us is broken. Storms are a reality. Our bodies are broken. Like I want to eat a little better this year, 
But here's the truth. No matter what I do, one day it's all going to sag. One day it's all going downhill, right? It's just where we're going. The world's broken. We live in the midst of this kind of thing. The work, it was good, right? But now in verse 18, there's thorns all around. But let's get to the good stuff because we ain't got much time. Verse 14. And this is where we're leading because there's a storyline from this passage that leads throughout the scripture that paints the majesty and glory of our God that is so beautiful. Look at verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, here's the curse. He said, because you've done this, curse are you more all than cattle, than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. He cursed the serpent, verse 15, and he says this. This is where it gets good. He said, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. So some interesting language there. And then in capital, you'll see, it says, he shall bruise you on the head. That word in the Hebrew could also be translated as crushed. He will bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So all of a sudden this seed becomes singular, right? When we think about this seed, it could be like, oh, is this humanity? Is this like a bigger thing? But we see it narrowed down right in the wording. It says between your seed and her seed. And then it says, he shall bruise you on the heel. So there's this seed that's going to come. There's going to be this offspring from the woman that would crush the head of the serpent, right? And we're going to see that, that the serpent would bruise his heel, the seed's heel, but it would be temporary. It would be temporary, but that the head of the serpent would be crushed. Theologians refer to this as the first gospel, the proto-evangelium, if you are just looking for that word. But it says this, a conqueror is coming, is what it says. And it says there's a seed, there's a promise, the seed of the woman, and he's going to do something amazing. He's going to bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And in this passage, we're not told in that moment who it is. We know it's the seed of the woman. And so, by the way, like if I go up to Holbrook's later and I say, hey, uh, when we get done, as soon as this is over, 1248, I'm going to be done for then, but I'm going to wear you out right outside there. It's going to be bad. I'm going to wear you out good. And you're probably feeling some stuff right now. There's going to be a couple options, right? He's either going to be out there and he's going to be ready to go or he's going to avoid it. Or maybe he's going to catch me as I come out the door and give me some like elbow drop from the top, top rope kind of thing or whatever, right? There's a, it's going to engage in some conflict, right? And here's what we're going to see in the scripture, that Satan is doing everything he can to stop the seed of the woman, right? And we're going to see this continuing conflict, but our God is greater, right? We look in Genesis chapter four, right? That, that Cain kills Abel. We see it immediately. He's attacking this seed, right? But, but in God's grace, right? There's another child, Seth, and Seth is born. And then from Seth, we're going to see uh, that there was a man in his name that was descended that was named Noah. And we're going to see in Genesis chapter 6 that the wickedness was so great, right? You read it this week, that every intent and, and the thoughts of man's heart was evil continually. And God destroys everybody except this one family in this one worldwide flood. Because God made a promise. He said from the seed of the woman, he said there's coming a deliverer. Then in the midst of that, God uh, showed favor to know. He gave grace to him in the midst of those things. And all of God's grace, right? The wickedness was so great. But here's this promise. There's one coming and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. The flood comes, eight people make it. Only one of those will carry the seed. We see the sinfulness after that, but we see Shem in the midst of that. And we see in his lineage that he's going to carry that seed. And God's going to make a promise to one of his descendants. And we're going to look at it next week. And it's going to be so good. And it's going to be in Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to see that Abraham, we're 
we're going to see Abram write his call out. And God's going to say, listen, there's a promise to one of Shem's descendants that's going to change everything. And in your people, he said, I'm going to bless all people. And then from him, he said, there's going to be a promise to his son. And he's going to be a promise to Isaac that through your seed, all the world will be blessed. In Genesis 28, he's promised to Isaac's second son, to Jacob, not to Esau. And there's a battle there, right? We see all of those things, but there's this promised son. There's going to be this promised seed that's going to come through this lineage. And then in Jacob's fourth son, I believe from the tribe of Judah, we're going to see that there's going to be a man that's going to come from the family of David. And he's going to have a kingdom that's never going to end. And we're going to see Saul chase David around. And we read some of these Old Testament things and we think, what in the world's going on there? Why is Saul trying to kill him for 10 years? Because Satan's doing everything he can to stop the seed of the woman. He's done been told, I'm going to meet you when we get done. And I'm going to be right out there. And it's going to be bad. And it's going to be tough. And it's going to be rough. And he's doing all that he can. But I want you to know that God's plans can't be thwarted. That there's a God who is greater than anything we could ever imagine. And we follow that son. We follow that lineage. We follow that through the family of David all the way to Jesus. And we see that he is the seed of the woman. And in Matthew chapter 1, when we begin to read about the lineage, and some of y'all I've been reading through the lineages. We've been walking through this, this Bible reading plan. You're thinking, why is it telling me about this one, but got this one, and this one, but got this one, and this one, but got this one? Because they want you to see that the storyline of Scripture is true and that the seed of the woman is going. And we see in Matthew chapter 1 the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And man, there's some good stuff in that genealogy. There's a bunch of broken branches in that Christmas tree. But here's the deal. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus. Jesus is the deliverer. Satan tries to destroy everything throughout the scriptures, but God's plan will not and cannot be thwarted. And the Bible tells us in Revelation, I didn't need that water anyway, that, that he was the lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. This wasn't an afterthought. This wasn't in the middle of the garden that God said, I had a big plan and everything was going good. Now Adam messed up. Now it's all done. Now the Bible says that Jesus was a, slain, a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And in all of God's greatness and in all of his goodness and in all of his majesty, right? We see that he allows all these things to happen so that he might be glorified and there might be a time that there would be people that would gather around the very throne room of heaven and they would worship him in spirit and in truth. What a savior we had when he made those trees and plants on the third day. He knew that one of those trees was going to be stretched and formed into a cross that his very son would die on. That on the most horrific day in human history, when God made the animals on day six, he knew that there would soon be a sacrifice for our sin in Adam and that one day a greater sacrifice that Jesus would be pierced for our transgressions, that he would be chastised, that he would be crushed for our iniquity, that through that, though we would be, we brought healing, right? We would see that in this, this curse, right, that as the curse happened and thorns began to come, that one day those thorns would pierce the brow of our Savior as he hung on a cross in our place, dying for the sins of us. We see just this incredible picture of how he would be clothed, right? Man, there's something really good as we come. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come. It's a little further. What a picture. Let, let's look at it. Genesis um, chapter 3, verse 21. Another beautiful picture. It said, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. What a picture pointing to the great redemption. See, Adam and Eve, they tried to cover it up in their own way. But what we see in the scripture is that there's only one way that there's a remission of sin. Scripture says that without the shedding of blood, that there is no remission of sins. And they had tried to cover it with fig leaves, and they had tried to cover it in their own ways. But I want you to understand that it took a sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve. And it was a picture of what would come in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who would die and be slain in our place, right? That he would die in our place 
place. And the Bible says that he became sin, that God took on, uh, took all of our sin and all of our shame and all of our sorrow and he put it all on Jesus. And the Bible says that he became sin who knew no sin, but he said there's good news in that so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that while he was clothed in, in those skins and those animal skins, I want you to understand that Jesus died on a cross so that we might be clothed in his righteousness and that God might do that. See, the Bible says sin separates. God creates, sin separates, but God's grace permeates everywhere we see. Romans 6, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. There was grace in every detail, and there was grace in his coming. You remember on Christmas Eve, and we looked at Galatians 4, and we saw this beautiful word. The Bible says that when the fullness of time came, when everything was just at the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those uh, who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as Sons, glory to God. As we look around, I hope you see the artist of our great God. I hope you see the one that's been painting and working and doing. And I'm telling you something, if you are in Christ, we've got to understand we can't make excuses anymore. If we're in Christ, Ephesians 2, 10 says that we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, his poema. And we don't need to look around and say, you know what? Something happened to me when I was little and something happened to me. And I'm not trying to discount all the things that are happening in your past, but I'm trying to magnify the greatness of our God that says that if you are in Christ, that you've been created for good works. That I've, that I've laid out since before the foundation of time, that you might walk in. I mean, we need to be a people that'll get up every day and say, you know what? I'm going to lean into the word of God. I want to hear from his word and I want to walk in obedience to what he has to say. I want to walk in his plan, in his plan, in his ways. And that is the story, right? We see the handiwork of our great God and we see truth, right? God keeps his promises. He's not finished. God keeps his promises. And on the cross, Satan bruised the heel of the seed of the woman. I want you to know it was temporary. Right, we know that on the third day, right, Jesus came bursting forth, right? And we, we see the curse was re- reversed, right? And Jesus crushed the head of that old serpent. Glory be to God for what he's done in our lives. And we're going to close this thing. I want to ask you just a couple of questions. One, have you received the promised gift of Jesus Christ? Have you ever surrendered your life to him, repenting of your sins and just surrendering to him to be saved, right? This is the redemption story of God. That, that in the fullness of time, right at Christmas, God sent forth his son, right? Born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those that are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. John chapter one says, as many as received him, he gave them the right to become sons and daughters of God, even to those who believe on his name. Have you received this gift of salvation that God has graciously given us? If you haven't, then I'll pray that today is the day of salvation, that you might come and we'd love to kneel down at this altar. We'd love to, to show you through the word of God what it means to be saved, what it looks like uh, to follow Jesus. For, for those of you that are in here, I want to ask you another question. Where is Satan tempting you? My prayer is that the spirit of God might move in this place in a way that he might, that he might read all of us individually, right? That he would work in a way that we would hear his gracious pursuit. You know, I used to read that passage where he says, Adam, where are you and I used to think of it as this like angry voice that was coming out. I used to feel, I mean, that's what I felt in my mind when I would hear that. But I want you to know, I think it was a voice that was filled with compassion and filled with grace and filled with mercy. And he, and he looked over and he said, Adam, where are you? And it's been my prayer that this morning as we gather here, that the spirit of God might move among us and that there might be individuals that might hear from God. You know, as I was reading this and I was praying in my own time, I was thinking about God's call, right? Where was Adam in this moment? I could hear the voice of God over my life. Jason, where are you? 
and I don't get it all right. You know, I have a longing to see my kids know Jesus and walk in them. And I'm so grateful that in his grace and his mercy that they've been born again into the family of God. But I desire to see them live well and to, to serve well. I desire all those things, right? And in the busyness of life, man, it's so easy to get so tied up that we can miss the main things. And in the midst of that, I feel the voice of the Lord saying, Jason, where are you? And in the midst of a broken society, in the midst of this world, I believe God's leaning into people and saying, where are you? At. There are some of you that need to be engaged with other believers around the word of God, that you need to be discipling, you need to be investing in their lives. In Titus 2 relationships where older men are breathing into younger men, where, where younger women and older women are gathering, and we see those kind of relationships. There are people that need to be invested in that, and there are people that are struggling on around. And God may speak to some of you and say, whatever your name is, right, where are you, right? There's brokenness all around. And God calls us back into the midst of brokenness. He redeems us out of it. And then sends us in with a message of hope, with a message of his gospel. Listen, we need to be people that will live in obedience to him, that will walk in the power of his spirit, that will say, you know what, no more excuses. I want to lead my family. I want to lead my home. I want to walk in integrity. I want to live as God called us to, to walk and pursue holiness in his, in his, in his ways, in his word. Listen, the tempter's coming. He's already there in some of your situations, and it may be that God has allowed you to be here this morning to intervene, right? We need to recognize the temptation, places where God uh, would call us to stand strong, and Satan is, is challenging and, and causing you to consider compromise, right? We need to recognize the temptation. We need to recognize the lies, but we need to rest in the deliverer because the battle has already been won. And Jesus, as he lives his life in and through us, if we'll submit to his plan, if we'll submit to his way. See, we've, we've been called to, to be people that will live out of an overflow of a relationship with him, to be in his word every day and to live dependent. Listen, if we think we've got this on our own, that's the pride of life that Satan wants you to have. He wants you to say, you know what? You got this. You don't need, you don't need all that mess about getting in the word every day. You don't need all that stuff about you know gathering with other believers and being engaged in community and doing all that kind of stuff. Satan says, you know what? You're good enough. On your own, look how strong you are. Look how strong you are. And I want you to know that pride comes before a fall. And there's been a many that have fallen. But the reality is that God says, if you'll live out of an overflow of relationship with me, if you'll lean into my word and you'll allow me to live through you, that it changes everything. And I believe God's got some names that he's calling today, right? And I don't know what those things are, but my hope is that we will be obedient and that we will hear that voice. Jason, where are you? And that instead of responding like Adam and covering up somewhere in a ditch trying to not be caught, and right, we're already caught. We're already guilty right there. We're, we're already there. But instead of responding to that, that we might respond like Isaiah. And when he says, who will go for me? Who shall I send? And instead of that response of being hid in the garden and being all out to the side, that we might respond like Isaiah and say, here am I, Lord. Send me, God, into the midst of the brokenness, into the midst of the heart, into the midst of whatever that is. And God, I'll walk in obedience because you are with me, right? We don't do it in our own strength, right? When we, we walk in obedience because we got a great big God on us. And greater is he that's in us than he that is in this world. So we don't have to walk around being scared to death of, of Satan and all his schemes. Listen, we, we, we got to recognize that our God is greater. May we walk in that. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. For your word, God, I thank you for the blessing of being part of your family, Lord. And I pray, God, that in these very moments, God, as the band comes, as we come to a time where we'll just worship you, God, that you might, you might speak to some hearts. God, I pray, Lord, that we might hear that voice. Jason, where are you? There's, there's stuff around in every life in here. Ladies, men included, where are you? 
God, what do you want us to do, Lord? Use us for the glory of your name. Father, we pray, God, that if there's, God, any that don't know you, God, that you would save this morning, God, that you would work in a way, Lord, that only you can do, God, and that you might change us from the inside out, God, that you might help us to walk in obedience, God, that we might trust you, because Satan's trying to get us to doubt your goodness, God, but we know, Lord, that you are good and you are great, and you are worthy of all of our praise. May we worship you in spirit and in truth, in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand together?